Hello world, how the blimmin' are you? How are you doing? Yes, we are back. Back, back, back again. Finally, episode 75. And we're back, and we should be back in fully working order from here on in. Um, yes, episode 75. And I want to thank everybody because people have continued to listen, even though I haven't put out any new content for a long time people are still working through because there's enough podcasts to work through and some people joined maybe only three or four podcasts ago and now are working their way through and clearly um all over the world so thank you listeners in absolutely everywhere from um the bottom of the world to the top of the world um via iceland america sweden australia thank you thank you thank you thank you um, yes, so the plan is to get back to a more regular service. Normal service will be and is in the process and is now resumed. I am joined by um, the author and rainbow dad and general all-round lovely human David Ladane. Um, David is currently uh, talking about and promoting his book, Having Gay Sex, a guide to homosexual sex and as we discuss it you'll realize it's not just a guide for gay men um, and it's not just a how-to guide it's full of interviews with gay men of all ages shapes and sizes and tastes um, their opinions um, delves into their their tastes their kinks um, there's a chapter full of terminology it's fascinating it's lots of fun it's really insightful and it's very real um, and I would say regardless of your gender or sexuality it is definitely one to go and have a look you will learn however experienced you think you are um, about anything uh, of the sexual nature you will learn a lot as I say it's um, it's it's fun as well so it's uh, it, it's not as we discuss it's not a uh, an LGBTQIA version of the, the that 70s classic, The Joy of Sex. It's not like that at all. There's no kinky pictures. There's nothing. It's not a picture book, I'm afraid, ladies and gentlemen. It's just, um, it's, a, it's a good, it's a really good read. So anyway, uh, I'll let David tell you more about that. Um, as I say, it was a really fun chat. And this is not David's first book by any means. And um, we discuss his other work, including his involvement with Rainbow Dance. The Rainbow Dance is a podcast and I've had uh, their, one of their helmsmen on the podcast before, Mr. Nicholas McInerney, who uh, I hope to chat to again in the very near future. Um, and uh, David is part of that and is one of the guests on that. So you can hear more about him on that podcast. Once you've listened to mine, go and listen to Rainbow Dance. Um, and um, yeah, we talk about his work with the development of Queer Britain Museum. Uh, the Queer Britain Museum, which is is basically they're trying to find a, a a bricks and mortar, a place where you can go and see artifacts, LGBTQIA artifacts and bits and pieces uh, from our history, uh, all in one place. Because at the moment, as as David mentions, they're kind of scattered. They are there and they're out there in the world, but they're scattered throughout museums and buildings and places across the world and they just really need to be collated and put together in one place. Um, there is one in San Francisco and uh, I've been there before and it was fascinating. It had um, Harvey Milk's shoes from the day he was assassinated in Elk Case and um, Sylvester, the singer, his costumes. Um, and uh, I remember thinking at the time that how wonderful it would be to have something like that in the UK because we've got a really rich and deep history so um so anyway yes so david is uh involved in the uh media team social media team for queer britain museum so we talk about that anyway we'll jump in with david very shortly but first to keep things regular i want to start with recommendations now before actually in fact before we jump in with recommendations i do feel like i owe it to you to sort of give you a quick how I've been doing because I know I spent lots of podcasts throughout the pandemic talking about how I've how I've coped and I don't want to 
waffle on because I want to get straight into my chat with David. But really just to say that it's been very up and down. I'm uh, My anxiety levels dip and wane and um, and rise again as misinformation. I've, I've, I am learning and I have to keep reminding myself that a lot of the time I just need to get the the tip of the news and I don't need to deep dive and watch the news every day and perhaps get everybody's opinions on Twitter because Twitter at the moment unfortunately as we all know is a bit of a shitstorm and um, I think my way of surviving and not getting too wrapped up because I do tend to get taken by the wave um, of negativity um, that's out there on social media is that to, to leave it alone um, and use it for fun and for podcast purposes and probably leave it at that for periods of time um, so that's one way of I've been getting by don't know about you tell me how you're doing um, and the other way is obviously I've been studying with uh, mindfulness and I'm going into mindfulness uh, teach MBCT which stands for mindfulness based cognitive therapy teacher training uh, very very soon um, and I'll tell you about that as it progresses but obviously I've been spending a lot of time meditating and just making sure that I'm in a grounded place which has probably enabled me to get back to the podcast so anyway that's how I've been coping and I really am genuinely interested to hear how you've all been surviving so let me know drop me a line yeah anyway as I say recommendations quickly and then we can move on to David um I'm going to drop a couple of things with you this week because there are so many recommendations I could give you from the last however many months so I'm going to just drop in something that's recent and I downloaded maybe three weeks ago two weeks ago I don't know how long it's been out now but it's by Dua Lipa and it's a remix album of her album future nostalgia and it's called club future nostalgia easy to remember and it's Dua Lipa and the blessed madonna which is not the same thing as madonna madonna's on the album though this the blessed madonna for those who don't know is a dj um and remixer and uh she's pretty much worked through the whole album with Dua Lipa and it plays out like a night in a club and you could easily soundtrack a party to it if parties were possible and perhaps, maybe, if we're lucky, at some point next year, we might all be able to go into places and dance in rooms together. I'm sure people have been doing it unadvised. Uh, I wouldn't try it myself. Um, but yes, uh, it will soundtrack parties down the line. Um, it's got remixes by people like Joe Goddard, uh, Masters at Work, Horsemeat Disco, and features all sorts of people kind of making guest appearances and moments. People like Jamiroquai, Gwen Stefani, Nana Cherry, Mark Ronson and of course Madonna. And they all make appearances in one form or another. And I'd say it's probably the best remix album in quite a while. So, um, and it plays, it plays, as I say, it plays, you could just, I have my own party. Usually I'm washing up. That's my party these days is washing up. Um, but go and, go and check that out. So it's Club Future Nostalgia. Julipa. And then just briefly television. A couple of things. This week was uh, the show Des, which was about the... I suppose the only way to describe him is serial killer. He is a serial killer. Dennis Nielsen in the UK, in London, in the late 70s and early 80s. And it was a really tragic awful set of grisly murders and um and though i don't i'm not one to i don't want to glorify it's it's really interesting and it's and i think at the end i think it was fairly it was very respectful to the gentlemen um who were murdered um in some horrible ways but uh it didn't really it didn't really glorify that side of it. It was really about the person, about Nilsson himself and his his mental state and the case. 
Um, and I'd seen bits of clips of him before over the years. And I remember being, because I was a really young, I was a boy when this was happening. And I was kind of, I remember being very intrigued by, by it and finding it quite dark. I mean, maybe it's not the best thing to be watching at the moment, but if you're feeling a bit down, but it was superbly executed. It was, I think, very sensitive to all, all the cases. Um, and David Tennant, for especially for US listeners, David Tennant, who was one of the doctors, Doctor Who, uh, amongst many other things, um, is, I'd say it's his best performance on screen anyway that I've seen. Um, he is... It's 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 very creepy, um, and uh, Daniel Mays, who plays the officer in charge of the investigation, is uh, is fantastic as well. In fact, the whole cast is superb, and um, yeah, my congratulations to all involved, uh, directors, writers, and actors. Um, and it's in the UK it was on ITV. I don't know what it would be in the rest of the world, but anyway, check that out. Um, it's called Des and David Tennant. If you Google it, I'm sure you'll find it will be in your country and maybe it will be on Amazon or Netflix uh, in the rest of the world. I'm not sure. Anyway, very interesting. Um, and then finally, We're Here, which is um, Queer Eye for the... Queer Eye, because it's just Queer Eye now, isn't it? Queer Eye, um, but with three drag queens... Um, Shangela, Bob the Drag Queen and Yuriko O'Hara on the road in the US um, going to very small town towns uh, in middle America and doing makeovers which sounds like it's all a bit glib but actually it's so emotional I thought I was watching it straight after Drag Race for a bit of a laugh and I ended up in tears absolute tears and I can be a bit soppy but it really is superb and it was in the uk it's on sky atlantic or just sky um and i think now tv and i'm sure the rest of the world it's uh it's an hbo it's hbo i believe yes so yeah i would recommend that for something for cheering the soul and the spirit go and watch that anyway it's now time to get back to my first guest in a long time, Mr. David Ladane. Thank you for joining me. You're welcome. And it's good to be here. And I can see you've got sunshine coming through the window, as I have here. So uh, it's a it's a good day. Nice. Exactly. Day. It's a good way to start. A bit of sunshine in the day. Um, I'm, I'm, we have had a bit of an introductory chat, but um, how how are you coping with? lockdown what's what what have, have you got any tips or are you just like the rest of us kind of clinging to to moments and well uh, for me it's been about routine setting a routine each day <clears throat> i think in the beginning lockdown was really um something that none of us had ever experienced before so to have routine in your day uh for me was very important so i've been doing a joe wicks um workout uh-huh morning and I've been going for a walk every day and I've been making sure I speak to at least one human being each day I think those moments during the day are very important and uh, keep keep you going really keep you motivated because it can be very uh, very isolating and very lonely time if you live on your own especially and I dread to think really how people who have you know anxiety or worries you know concerns mental health issues how they've coped through this period I mean I'm I'm touch wood I'm lucky I don't I don't think I tend to suffer really too much with um, anxiety or depression or anything Uh, but for those who do it must have been and still must be because it's an ongoing thing and no one can see see the end no no at the moment it's um I think a lot of us and I know certainly myself I have have anxiety and that's just part of part of my makeup and um it's uh yeah it's it's a it is you say i think it is just finding for me i think there is a thing about routine um 
and I meditate and walking and exercise and all those things and kind of making sure those happen each day. I'm saying this because you're the first person I've spoken to in the podcast since lockdown began. Otherwise, I've been talking to myself and kind of uh, thoughts on how we get by to the world. And so you're the first human. So yeah. that's why I wanted to ask how you were doing. Hello. <laughs> out here. <laughs> so, um, yes, also. Sorry, Matt. Uh, also for lockdown, um, for me, it's been really good because I've been able to do lots and lots of writing um, oh, and, okay. and to finish a couple of books, which I would never have been able to do had we not had the lockdown. Because obviously I, I, I work also and I have a life yeah. um, and, you know, a, a son who's just gone off to university and one who's just gone off to Canada. So, you know, it's uh, a busy life. So, um, yes. So, so you managed to maintain. You, sorry to interrupt. You managed to keep um, the, the fact that you were able, you felt able to write. Because a lot of people I know, I'm listening to people talking on other podcasts and on the radio. A lot of people seem to have found that although they've had the time, the inclination just hasn't been there, and that because everything else has been bubbling away. So I think it's great that if you that it's you, that you feel able to sit down and and write each day. Well, um, the two books that I've done, uh, the one that I've just recently published, Having yeah. Gay Sex, uh, and the new one, which is about telling your LGBT story, um, were both projects that I had ongoing anyway. So okay. I was well into them uh, before lockdown happened. Uh, but now that they're both sort of finished, I am sort of thinking, well, you know, what shall I do now? Uh, mm. And yeah, you know, the creative juices seem to have dried up slightly. I need a bit of inspiration, I think, about what to do next, writing-wise. Yeah, I suppose, well, congratulations on finishing two books. That's that's incredible, I have to say. Well, uh, uh, thank you, and um, it's, it's hard work, and it's uh, just keeping at it, um, you know. People often say, oh, how do you have time to write, you know, where do you find the time? But um, when it's something that you're passionate about, and um, you love doing like anything I guess like if you're a musician or or an actor like yourself you just keep at it you just keep going um yeah. you have to um, yeah you know, something in you that drives you otherwise of course you'd give up because who who you know I spend hours and hours in front of a, a computer screen typing away and researching and you know and all that sort of stuff and interviewing people um but you do it if if you could find something easier, <laughs> easier, sure. uh, a bit of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you, where are you based? Just so so the listeners know exactly where in the world you are. I'm in, in West Sussex in the UK on a sunny September day. Fantastic. Um, so, David, um, <laughs> I know and we've already mentioned David Bowie and that he is a hero of yours. And I always have to throw that in somewhere and so what was it for, for you what 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 did you connect with initially with David Bowie what was the thing that turned you on to him um I think it was his androgynous ambiguity around his image and his sexuality and that it was okay to be different and to feel different um and the lyrics just spoke to me um, and every single song that he ever made was different from the previous one and you never knew what he was going to come up with next mm. and sometimes you know some of his albums were quite challenging um, you know I can remember in the 70s when the what they what they now call the Berlin Trilogy came out Low, mm. Hero and Lodger I mean when when Heroes came out I just didn't get it at all um, but then, of course, now it's an absolute classic, um, you know, and low just speaks to, you know, such a it, it's such a deep album and, and with such feeling, you know, uh, and about those times and about living in Berlin and his breakup of his marriage and what he was going through. Uh, so, yeah, so all those things. Um, and because I was I knew that I was because we're talking when I first got into Bowie, I mean, it was like. 70, late 72, 73. Sure. I, ju I just missed out on the Ziggy Stardust thing. Um, uh, but my brother, my brother introduced me 
uh, to his music. And I remember seeing, um, uh, this was in the days before video, but it was a, a video of the Life on Mars single. And I just, it was just incredible. It was like mm -hmm. an alien had landed in your living room. Mm -hmm. And and he was just saying that it was okay to feel different and to be different and to not let anyone, you know, um, shame you. And uh, But of course, you know, we, we live our lives and we, we live in, um, you know, uh, circles of people who might not understand, you know, these things. Yes. And, and we and it, it's so it is so hard it is so hard and I struggled for years and years and years to come to terms with my sexuality mm -hmm. um, but I think had it not been for Bowie in the background all the time throughout my life um, you know it would have been so much harder so much yeah. harder I think for me Did and you... I think for a lot of for a lot of men of my age sure. you know it, it's amazing you know that uh, in the in in gay in the gay community the amount of men of my age, our age, you know, middle-aged men, um, all fanatical Bowie fans, and uh -huh. and it seems that there was this sort of, you know, he was he was a, a a guardian angel in some ways, you know, when you were sitting in your bedroom wondering why you felt this way and mm -hmm. and were you going to be alone forever for the rest mm -hmm. of your life. Um, so yeah, so incredibly important. No, it's good. it is important. I think because I had obviously I was probably a few years. Uh, I, I started with Boy George, uh, which led yeah. me to which kind of led me to Bowie. Um, so I had the had the but it was the same thing. It was kind of early days of having someone to to turn to for want of better description. Um, and it was a place of safety listening to those people. So, um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. It's, I have to. I have to. We had to talk about that first and of foremost. Of course we do. We have to honour. We have to honour the man and and what he left behind. And uh, yeah. you know, and uh, and if it wasn't for him, would Boy George have come onto the scene? You know, who knows? Exactly. Exactly. But also, also, I remember when Boy George was on top of the pops that first time, and and we were all sitting around saying. No, that's 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 a girl. That's a girl. <laughs> yeah. uh, How times have changed. Have changed. Thankfully. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. 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 Um. So yes. So so you you're an author. Three books in. Um. What at what point did did becoming an author start to become a a thought and a reality for you? Um. Life, what stage in life? Yeah, well, I was I was at home with my two sons. I was a stay at home dad. And, um, you know, when you've got young children, it's it's constant. It's uh, you know, there's no time for anything. You know, putting your socks on in the morning, getting dressed is a feat in itself. Um, but as they get older, you know, they were going to nursery school and I was having more time to myself. And I'd always written to some extent, always, as long as I can remember. And I think it was about this. Uh, you know, expunging these uh, ideas and thoughts and things that were going around in my head and trying to figure things out. So I was always writing. I wrote diaries and I wrote, you know, beginnings of stories and novels and things and had this big dream of, uh, you know, writing a novel. But as the children got uh, older and going to school and, and stuff, so I had more time. And you can only hoover and polish and dust and... Uh, <laughs> So much of the day and, and the rest of the day you have to do something a bit more constructive and um, it was this was uh, 2010 I guess around that time okay and so the internet was becoming more available and, and uh, every, you know most people a lot of people had a home computer and so I had this idea going around in my head about, for a novel and it was set in in World War II um, and, and history and, and World War II is another one of my interests and okay. and, so, and so I sat down and wrote this huge huge novel uh and looking back you know I mean basically I just put everything and the kitchen sink in it and I and I and I was resolving relationship issues with my parents and my brother and and all sorts you know it was all in there so I but I did it and I, I got to the end and and it was an amazing feeling and um I wanted to publish it I wanted to traditionally publish and so I tried 
agents and publishers and um, uh, anyone who, who knows that, uh, uh, you know, going down that route, it can be tedious and there's a lot of rejection and, uh, you know, we like your work, but it's not quite right for us at this moment. And uh, you can only approach one agent or one publisher at a time. And self-publishing was becoming a thing. Um, and I thought, well, I'll do it myself then. I've got, you know, I've, um, and I, I knew someone else who was, who had done that and who was uh, writing in fantasy and sci-fi and has become really successful at it. And, um, and so I thought, well, I'll give it a go. So I self-published my first novel, uh, which was called The Butcher's Son. Um, okay. uh, and, um, and expected it to fly off the shelves off the you know internet in uh -huh. ethereum shelves and of course it did <laughs> yeah and uh, so then i i uh, another friend of mine we got together and we decided that if we we were both having the same problems you know he was writing children's books but we were both having the same problems and we thought well if we get together with other authors who are doing a similar thing as us maybe we've got more um you know a bigger voice and more power yeah uh, putting a group of uh independent authors together so we did that uh, in the local area and uh, we had our first meeting and there was four of us and uh and you know we, we hadn't known of anyone else who'd done this made a sort of collective group uh specifically to market and promote each other's books it, so it wasn't about a writing group as such it was about a promoting promotion idea so um uh, and it was extremely successful in that we had a group of 20 or more authors from the local area. We put on events, panel events, library events. We did a big uh, competition with the local newspapers. Um, uh, we had uh, Kate Moss, the author, uh, present prize, uh, prize mm -hmm. for us. And so it was really successful. Um, but again, you know, I was spending all my time working with the group and promoting the group and yeah. and not actually doing much of my own writing sure. but in the meantime um i was going through my separation from my wife and so dealing with all those uh, issues of coming out uh, and coming out to myself and trying to find my way in the world and trying to deal with issues of guilt and uh and you know leaving a family behind and, and all those sorts of things mm. And I couldn't find anything uh, that was written by another gay dad that spoke to me and told my story back to me. So I felt I was the only one. I was the only person this could have possibly ever happened to, other than sort of, you know, famous cases that you can find online. I didn't find that there was any ordinary guys that this had happened to, that they'd got married and had kids uh, and, you know, the elephant in the room finally, finally got dealt with. So I decided to write that book myself. So I, I was um, in a group online with a few other gay dads and I asked them if they would be prepared to tell their stories. And of course, of course, given the chance, everybody wants to tell their story. And, uh, you know, I was inundated with, with these stories and I picked 10 one of one including mine mm. um, and, and put them in a book and um and it was fascinating you know reading all these different stories and these different backgrounds and, and lifestyles that these people had had but of course the theme was the same they'd all had to deal with these issues of their sexuality and coming to terms with it and dealing you know with the with the guilt and uh how that all pans out and you know finding somewhere to live, some of them. And some of them didn't have very good um, outcomes with their wives. Some of them did. Luckily, touch wood, I did. And my yeah. wife and I are still very close. That's great. Um, uh, and we were very much still a family. So I wrote that book. And I discovered that that book, the nonfiction uh, gay book, which I, I wrote under the name David Ladane because I wanted to protect. So it's a pen name. So I wanted to protect sure. my because they were still quite young uh, and it stuck since. Um, and I found that that book, uh, the nonfiction book, was actually selling better and easier than my novel. 
And so I thought, well, maybe this is the way to go. This is what people are interested in. They're interested in personal stories and, yeah. and you know, um, fiction, writing fiction and, and buying fiction is a very, very personal thing, you know, um, whereas personal stories can speak to many people on, on different levels. And men, and for many men going through that journey, you know, yeah. of, of coming to terms with their sexuality uh, and that. And then a couple of years later, I, you're probably going to ask me this question about Rainbow Dan. Yes, I... that's that's absolutely on the list of things because obviously okay. we, the, the listeners would have uh, listened to, to Nicholas previously. And yes, we yeah. had a, a had a great chat uh, middle of last year, I believe. Um, yeah. 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 Gosh. When the world was a very different and ordinary. <laughs> it's a very different place, yeah. But yes, so uh, before we go any further, just uh, so listeners know, the, the full title of your of your book, um, Gay Dad, 10 True Stories of Divorced Gay Men Living with Kids Living in the UK Today. Is that the correct title? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely, because I wanted it to say, you know, wanted it to be what it was on the tin, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I didn't want people to think, oh, well, you know, because you can find stories about, uh, you know, adopting parents, uh, same sex parents adopting or, you know, uh, bringing up uh, kids, uh, you know, in a same sex uh, marriage in the UK, um, sorry, in the US. Mm -hmm. But there was nothing here. Uh, so, yeah, as I said, I, I wrote the book myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah, so that which led you to meet. So yeah, well, you, you, where did you meet Nicholas? Like, I don't know if I actually know the story of how um, whether he contacted. Oh, he, yes, he approached me. He approached uh, you, right? Uh, uh, and a couple of other, uh, you know, and some other gay dads. Yeah. Um, because he'd got word, he he found, you know, he found out that I'd written that book, and he wanted with Richard Shannon to produce a podcast, um, talking to, um, you know, gay dads and bi dads about their uh experiences yeah. and so he approached me and it was last april 2019 so a group of us got together at goldsmiths in london uh, and spent a couple of uh weekends there um and just sitting in a group and just talking about things and it was just so um amazingly cathartic and um and honest and and there's you know, there's there's tears and there's laughter and, and, you know, and getting a group of guys together to talk like that is very, uh, it's it's quite unusual even now, I think, for men to open up like that. And especially men of our age, although, you know, it, there are younger men involved. It's not just, you know, our, our age group. Um, but for men to sit down and talk openly and honestly about their emotions and feelings and and often for the first time, you know, that they've spoken openly and in such detail and in such depth uh, with other strangers, you know, yeah. because we all, some of us knew each other, but some of us didn't. So it was anyway, we were, we were in this studio and lo locked in the studio for hours with Nicholas yeah. who facilitated it and um you know, uh, had some fantastic questions. And so each episode is is on a topic of the coming out process. It's such a good, it's, it's, it's a really good listen, obviously. Um, but the, the variation of experience across, how was it, six, six of you? Six, six of us, of, yeah. 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 Just the, from the, the variation from, uh, culturally and and but everybody coming together with the same the core the same feelings but the it's 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 I mean super super interesting and I think for anybody gay straight or otherwise it's a it's a it's a must listen so yes I want to recommend that podcast yeah. while we're talking and also I think also I think it's a it's a it's a document of our time mm you know, a, a social document, an oral yeah. document of our time. And, uh, you know, this incredible uh, time for, for uh, you know, LGBT people in the UK that we've lived through, you know, yeah. because you and I can remember when, well, I can, well, I can't, 
remember when it was illegal, but you know, I was too young. But certainly within my time, within my lifetime, yeah. things have completely changed, and I would Absolutely. never have dreamt that um, there could have been same-sex marriages, or you know, gay men could have adopted kids, uh, you know, or men could walk down the street holding hands. You know, uh, I mean, I know those some of those things are still difficult, um, but yeah. you know, the distance we've come in yeah. uh, comparatively short time is incredible um and, and so yeah so i think it, it's not only our stories but it is the story of our time absolutely and i think at the moment more than ever that our stories across the board need to to be retold and retold because i just feel like they're uh, everything's in i mean it's always swings and roundabouts isn't it and the pendulum can swing hopefully it will swing back to the positive in the next few years but at the moment i feel like it's super important for discussions we're having now and the discussions that you and the gents on the rainbow podcast had rainbow dad's podcast had, it needs it, we need to we need to be heard continue to be heard um yeah. as you say we remember times when things were different and gay marriage was uh, was a dream um so yeah um so i do urge people to go and have a listen to all those podcasts because they're they're fascinating and, and important. But yes, thank you for mentioning that. And um, thank you, Nicholas, as well. He's probably going to hear this and uh, to thank him again for, for all his work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because without these people who, who get up and organise and, and sort things out and get people together and have the vision, um, it wouldn't happen. You know, Absolutely. We need these people and they're really important and uh, they do an important job and we must recognise them and thank them for that. Completely, completely. Um, your second, well, your second, well, so it be your third book, Forbidden Fruit, Male Homosexuality and a Culture and History Guide. Um, what, what prompted you to jump in in there? Was that you discovering more yourself and going, ah, there's so much to tell or how did that come about? Yeah, absolutely. It was uh, a case of well, when I was writing Gay Dad and and, and starting to open up and uh, expose myself to gay culture and other people, and and I was just just discovering things that I had no clue about. I had no idea, and I thought, well, why don't I know these things? You know, uh, I've lived quite a long time. I should know these things, but of course we don't because they're not yeah. written down. They're not taught in school. Uh, and nobody speaks about them. And as the generations go on, you know, one, gen one generation, one gay generation can completely forget what the previous generation had to go through. And I think this was the, very much the case with uh, AIDS and HIV in the 80s. When we were living through that, it was, it was a plague. It was awful. You know, it was, it was terrible. Um, but then the next generation think, oh, well, that was, you know, that was those old guys. They dealt with it and it's fine now. But of course, HIV was still prevalent. Uh, and, um, you know, without people saying what their experience was and, and talking about it, how are the younger generations ever going to know? Absolutely. So I was looking at all sorts of things, I, um, you know, and, and so I was looking at culture and history and uh and yeah, just in, and I just needed to write it down. I just thought, well, this uh, I can't just not not do something mm. about. Mm. So yeah, so that's that's how that book came around, came about. Um, and it, all my books have always been about filling a gap uh, because I couldn't. There was nothing there really that I could find that that you know concentrated those historical stories. You know about the the last gay men uh, or the last men in Britain to hang for being uh, caught. You know, uh, you know, the prevalence of, uh, of uh, sodomy on, on board ships in the in 17th and 18th century, you know, and and the fact that homosexuality and the word homosexual is only a very relatively new thing. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. uh, and we we seem to we ignore that. We don't realize that we think it's always been the case that, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, but it's not. I was going to say, what was the most, what was the, what was the most surprising thing you learnt in that process? Something that you, that really kind of, not took you aback, but something that you would never have, uh, that 
you know, the, the, in your previously in life, you, you, you know, obviously some of the things you would have had some idea about, but something that, that, yeah, that surprised you, the thing that surprised you the most in your research. Yeah. I think the most surprising thing is the ordinary stories of ordinary men. Right. Having homosexual encounters, cruising, for instance, you know, uh, has been something that's been gone on for centuries. Mm. It's not it's not something new that that, you know, that homosexuals have invented in the in the 20th century. Um, And that was that that was so affirming to know that all these things that we take as being something modern is not it, it. it, and gender and sexuality uh, is something that people have had to deal with in one form or another, always mm-hmm. throughout time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that for me was really um, encouraging, I guess, yeah. because I think we, we all, when we're going through this, trying to figure out who we are uh, and, um, you know, what our sexuality is, we feel that we are the only person you know, that, that feel like this, or that this has ever happened to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But it, that, but that's not the case, you know. And when yeah. you read these stories of, you know, ordinary men, and, and, and I've been really fascinated recently by um, Roger Casement. I don't know if you've uh, heard of no. Roger. He was a Victorian or Edwardian uh, uh, explorer, and uh, he worked for the British um, consulate, and he went to places like Chile and and the Congo, and he uh, exposed the terrible um, uh, conditions that the local people were living under, under colonialism, which is very pertinent at the moment because we're talking about colonialism quite a lot now. Um, But he was a very active gay man, and wherever he went, he would go cruising and he would pick up uh, young men and, you know, and he wrote about them in... in, uh, a diary called the Black Diaries. Um, oh, really? so he kept two diaries, so he kept an official diary oh. of his official work, and uh, what they call a Black Diary. Yeah. Basically, noted down all his uh, all his encounters and experiences, and how how big and how endowed these guys were. And <laughs> really, really fascinating. And. Wherever he went, as soon as he arrived back in London from his uh, escapades abroad, he would, you know, he knew where to go to pick someone up. Um, Right. And it was like a a double life. Uh, And anyway, he got absolutely fascinating. He was involved with the Easter Sunday uprising in Ireland. Oh, oh, okay. And he was, I mean, he was knighted. He was given a knighthood for his services to the empire in uh, the Congo and in Chile. Um, But he was hung in 1916 for his involvement in the Easter uprising. So very sad, very sad ending for him. But an incredible, incredible life uh, he led. Wow. Okay, that's something to to look into because these are the people that I, because obviously... We go back to Oscar Wilde and a lot of people kind of go, and then we drop off. (laughs) But there's so much. There's so much to. Exactly. We we hear of Oscar Wilde uh, and, uh, you know, I can't bring any other names to mind. But, But you know, there are thousands and thousands of ordinary stories out there Mm. of men who have just lived their lives, often lived double lives, hidden lives, but kept diaries and, you know. And, and I think we need to we need to tell those stories and we need to tell our stories as yeah, well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, which brings me to your current book. Um, I'm going to get the title completely right. Having Gay Sex, A Guide to Homosexual Sex. Um, exactly. I, I've I've read it this week. And even well, though I consider myself quite worldly. Um, it was it was it was fascinating to have it all together um, and to kind of go back. And for me, it was a case of relearning certain things, um, but also having the glossary of terms. I mean, there was again, there was something here and I did note um, uh, Q-tipoc, which I'd never or Q-tipoc. 
I had no idea um, that that was something completely new, new terminology to me. Um, so there was a lot in there for there was stuff like that for me. As I say, I feel like I've lived, <laughs> but there was okay. a lot there, and I think it's really healthy for and, and I want to encourage people to go and um, to download or buy is because regardless of your age or whether you're older than us or younger than us there's it's it's all there and I think it's a good place to for people to go back and and there's history in there as well as um as well as kind of information um there's history so I think it's a it's a it's a great idea so congratulations on it first of all (laughs) thank you very much Um, yeah thank you yes um so what again so this led this came from clearly from the last previous piece the previous book this led you further into into putting this together uh yes um and again i wanted to talk to the men who experienced these things so uh it covers all sorts of subjects um and it talks about um things that i didn't know myself uh and and i think uh, I think the first thing that I sort of grabbed onto was this um, this idea that all gay men have anal sex, mm-hmm. and that is a prerequisite of being gay. Well, it's not. Yeah. You know, many men in relationships don't have anal sex, or you know, some you know some can be versatile, or whatever. Mm-hmm. It is not. It, it's having anal sex is not the thing that makes you gay yeah (laughs) Uh, and i just thought you know for young guys uh, teenagers you know who are thinking oh you know i think i'm gay but i'm not sure about anal sex is it going to hurt and blah 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 and what do i do and how's best to do it and you know Mm -hmm. am i going to get dirty am i going to catch something you Mm -hmm. know all all these things yeah Uh, uh i'm and you know, I, I talk in the book about rimming and douching and yeah, and I just wanted to put it out there and talk about these things that we don't talk about. Um, and just to be honest and, and say yeah. what it's like and, and, you know, and talk and but also to talk to guys who uh, go cruising on Hampstead Heath or who uh, are into BDSM or into kink uh, and mm-hmm. try to understand what 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 that is all about. And. You know, I had this fascinating conversation with this guy who's who's heavily into um, bondage and BDSM, mm. and we sat in a <clears throat> excuse me in a cafe in London one lunchtime, and we were surrounded. This was last summer, obviously. Mm. We were surrounded. We were surrounded by uh, office staff having mm. their lunches, and they were mm. all chit chatting away, and we were talking about, you know amazing incredible things and i just and and this guy was just so ordinary and so sure you know there was nothing weird or strange about him he's very quiet and very articulate uh very intelligent and uh and i think you know we sort of when we don't understand things we build them into some sort of demonic uh monster yeah and, yeah and i think people when they understand what you know goes on when when two men have sex together it's not a big deal no more than it's any big deal for a heterosexual couple to have sex together we don't talk all the time about the different positions that a heterosexual couple do you know uh, you know do they wash themselves beforehand afterwards you know mm-hmm. we don't talk about that because it's just accepted well you know people have sex together um yeah. but but until we become comfortable with talking about these things and honest about talking about these things, um, then, you know, uh, people won't understand. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember as a child, well, as a child, I wasn't a child, when I was 11 or so, that the 11, 12, being aware of the book, The Joy, the Joy of Sex. Yeah. The, that was a, was it a, a late 60s? early 70s initially when it was created but that kind of being the book and there was a book I mean now that's pretty probably outdated and and 
I don't know yeah. if it's, it's still published, but I'm sure it is. But um, but there was nothing. There wasn't any kind of. There was nothing for us. Um, and even as a as a kind of early twenties gay man, there was. You, you kind of learnt on the job. Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but to have, I think, as you say, as a for for somebody who who's coming out, whatever age they're coming out, to have somewhere to go to, to have some of those questions and fears cleared up is great. Is a great. It's a good resource. So um, yeah. Yeah. But also, I think it's not it's not just for guys coming out. It's as you said previously, it's for, it's for all of us. It's aimed at all yeah. of us. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the reason I put the conversations in there with with yeah. these guys. You know, I talked to a um, uh, a massage a tantric massage um, guy. Uh, you know, what goes on in a in an erotic massage? You know. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. You know, you just don't know, do you, unless you've experienced that. So, uh, so there's stories in there that are uh, about real people, real lives, um, uh, and it's not like that book, Joy, Joy of Sex, with those no, with hippie, the terrible with pictures, those, with those hippie pictures of <laughs> long-haired <laughs> lovers, you know, uh, not doing very much. I seem to remember, or, or <laughs> everything was very cleverly uh, covered up. So, <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, so it's having gay sex. The book uh, is not. Yeah. Um, it's not a how-to guide. There's no sure. diagrams or, or, <laughs> or pictorial uh, images of what bits go where. But no it is cartoons. a frank. No cartoons. <laughs> but it is a frank discussion about, yeah. uh, you know, what men do. And also, I've, I was talking to um, some of the guys at Switchboard. Um, and they were saying that uh, one of the one of the questions they get asked most mm. above all is uh, guys phone up and they say, how do I have gay sex? How do I have sex with a man? Well, you know, if there were if I cannot imagine that that ever would occur to a heterosexual guy to phone up and say, you know, how do I have sex with a woman? No. Uh, because they because they intuitively know, because the information is there, it's around, it's in culture. Um, but with gay sex, that's not the case. It's very, it's, you know, things have obviously progressed and got better, and we are talking about these things, but it's still very much uh, under the radar, and you have to go and look for it if you want to find out, um, you know, and cruising and going to saunas and, you know, all this sort of thing, which, which we all know goes on and and we've all done or some of us have done to some degree or other um but you know for for people who don't they want to know what 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 is all that about yeah you know why do men get together in a sauna and start touching each other up sure you know what is that about uh, uh, i think also it's interesting i found it interesting too because a lot of people assume that everything's online um and the fact that people there is still a uh, uh, and i want to 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 have personal face to face skin to skin contact rather than meeting somebody via yeah. an app um and that the fact that cruising still exists because it felt that it's sort of i mean so a lot of people will probably make the assumption that it just doesn't really happen anymore but the fact that it's it's there and it's still going strong and you've spoken to these people and yeah. and, ex- and they explain why they they don't find they don't get the the reward the enjoyment from meeting somebody via a phone so I think it's yeah, it's fascinating yeah and you, you know as I said before cruising has always gone on it's always happened um, and it's about you know um, uh, the danger the get you know the, the the prospect of maybe getting caught or, yeah. you know, uh, and, and the, you know, the physical urgent sex and, you know, you're only there for one purpose and, yeah. um, but it works on so many different levels. Yeah. Uh, and I think it will always, it will always carry on no matter how, um, you know, um, how much is offered on the internet, as you say, with apps and things, I think uh, cruising will always, will always be there. Yeah. Which brings me to, um 
your the museum. Oh, queer Britain. I, queer Britain. Um, and I have to say, I feel a bit ashamed that I didn't know and I didn't know anything about it and now I know it exists so I'm super interested to to learn more and I think it'd be good to, to tell us a bit about that if you can. Uh, well good I'm so pleased that you're uh, interested to learn more because again yeah, it's absolutely. about it's about uh, telling the queer story uh, so uh, for people who don't know Queer Britain is a charity to uh, put in place to set up the UK's first bricks and mortar uh, LGBTQI um, museum, uh, which will uh, stock and showcase items uh, from queer history. Because if, and I think this started um, Dan Vo, who does uh, the queer uh, tours at the VNA, was one of the first. Um, okay to recognise that a lot of the items that they have on show have a queer story behind them um, in the museums. But of course, they are in different galleries, in different cabinets. Uh, there's nothing cohesive. Mm. And, and the VNA do this. Um, uh, what, each month they do a queer tour. So you, you get in a group and you get shown around and you get shown and talked to about uh, queer objects or objects with a queer history yeah uh, fascinating absolutely fascinating uh, and again so um so brilliant to be shown your history you know uh, because we're not shown our history when our you know our history's not talked about um so queer britain is a charity set up to to basically facilitate a an actual building uh, that will uh uh, showcase these items so I've got involved with that and uh, I volunteer and I do um, I'm on their social media team so uh, right so when you see posts coming up on uh, Twitter uh, headed Queer Britain uh, myself and another uh, a team of people are behind those researching them and uh, posting them up so that's my involvement but uh, again I just feel so passionate about it that you know i would so love to see it happen within my lifetime that there'd, be, that there'd be this museum um you know and and school kids can go in parties and look round and you know i just think it would be brilliant brilliant there's one in have you been to the san francisco um the museum in san francisco uh, on the don't know if you've ever been over there and spent any time on the castro no i haven't i haven't no. I, I well no it's it's just because I when I was there they had um uh Harvey Milk's shoes for instance from the day he was when he was assassinated um yeah. Sylvester's costumes it was just it's, it wasn't huge but the fact that it exists and that there's a place for Americans to go in the heart of one of the gayest places on earth yeah. It, I, I, I remember thinking, I wish we had something in the UK because we've got even more to 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 find and to to be to to, to show. Um, so it's fantastic that it's happening. So keep well, up the work. You know, it's a difficult time for museums, of course. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know this whole uh, industry. You know, theatre, acting. Uh, um, it's difficult so um but you know i'm sure one day we will get there and uh, and, and and just the mere fact that people w are hearing about it um and the notion of it um i think carries a lot of weight um definitely absolutely um so you've got a new project as well in the works i haven't <laughs> Um, which is I, I don't know how you're, you're a bit you you're an incredibly <laughs> busy and resourceful human at, at this time. So, <laughs> well, I think uh, at this time it's important to keep busy, isn't it? So, yeah. um, with these things, but uh, it's funny, it's um, serendipity. A lot of it, you know, things come up and uh, you meet people and you, you get invited to do things or whatever. Um, so my new project, which is actually with the editors at the moment, so uh, still a bit of work to go on uh, okay. that. Okay. Okay. Um, is a is a how-to guide for 
LGBTQ people about how to write their story and how to tell their story and how to self-publish their story. So it's basically all my knowledge and experience that I've had through self-publishing over the last four years, uh, how to go about it, it, sort of easy steps, uh, and, okay. and the myths around uh, self-publishing and um, you know, I think there's quite a lot of people that think they can make a fast buck at self-publishing, um, but that's not the case. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it is a hard slog to write and produce something of any worth uh, and that people want to read. Yeah. So there was that side of it. But also I, I, I'm very keen that LGBTQ people tell their stories. Um, uh, and I want to be able to help them do that. And I think if, if if they can see, well, you know, I can write my story and I can publish it and I can, you know, a few friends or a few people will go out and buy it. And 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 that is so self-healing and so um, cathartic for other people. And so, you know, you're helping other people in the same situation, because, as we said earlier, you know, when I was first dealing with my sexuality and being in a marriage, I thought I was the only one that mm. had mm-hmm. But I wasn't. And it was only the fact that I I reached out to others um, that I was able to find other people and then to tell our stories. And then, you know, the Rainbow Dads podcast. And and so it goes on. Um, And we're, you know, we're helping thousands of people with the podcast. Hopefully we're helping thousands of people around the world um, who can who can listen into that. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah. So the next book is about how you actually sit down and do that. You know, the processes of doing that, how to keep going when sometimes it's quite tough, mm. uh, you know, and the wobbles and the self-doubt. And, uh, you know, we all have that. Uh, you know, I think people think that authors, especially, you know, traditionally published bestsellers, they are some sort of strange being. That, mm-hmm. <laughs> but they're not. They just are tenacious and they get on with it and they and, and they write. Uh, and, you know, they don't have, obviously have to deal with too much promotion and marketing, although these days they do. It's not all done for them. Um, but so, yeah, so I, I talk about how how to do that, how how to make a success of that and to help others and to help yourself as well. When are you expecting that to come to light? Do you have any dates or is it still still with the editors, as you say? It's at the editors. I'm hoping yeah. for November which okay. would be good, um, to try and get in for Christmas, obviously. But yeah. uh, hopefully I'll come I'll come back and talk to you more about that at the time. Absolutely. Always welcome. Yeah. Always welcome. Brilliant. It'd be good to get you and um, Nicholas together at some point and maybe have a, a Rainbow Dads reunion. <laughs> that would be great. And I know that Nicholas is is always looking for the next step in that. You know, whether it be Rainbow Wives, you know, or the ex-wives. I did before lockdown actually try to get some ex-wives together. And there were a few that were quite interested in doing that. Yeah. um, Which would be fascinating to hear their story. Because, you know, the Rainbow Dads, we only talk about our version of events because we can't talk for other people, obviously, um, and how they felt. We can only see it from our side. So to have the wives sit down and do a similar discussion would be, I just think, incredible. And then, you know, we've been talking about maybe the kids as well, who have now grown up. Of course. uh, What they felt at the time and how they feel now. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's other, there's other, um, you know, things that, are in the pipeline but of course it's just getting everything together and uh, no, nothing of course at the moment it's very difficult but yeah the, i think yes those those would be fantastic Rain, yeah, the, the wives that would be yeah so interesting so yeah oh well um yeah, <laughs> yeah. but yes um bef- before we disappear um is there anything else that you would, would like me to have asked you anything that you'd like to tell me that I haven't perhaps touched on. <laughs> oh, crumbs. <laughs> if there I isn't, 
that's we're doing a great job <laughs> i think we're doing a great job matt and you've done a great job uh, absolutely you've covered everything and uh, all the different projects and right back to the beginning which uh, which i don't actually get to talk about very much so that was that was really nice to be able to tell the story of how i got into writing in the first place you know with with the novels um and and how that's what people because as you say people make the assumption that whether you're a, an author or an actor or whatever it is you do that's slightly heightened and some people consider to have a slightly heightened life people assume that you just you just arrive you just yeah. arrive in that place yeah. and that there isn't a story that leads you to it so i always i always find it fascinating to know that stuff so thank you um yeah. is there places where people can find you on social medias etc the social media Yes, yes. Uh, I'm on Facebook and Twitter at David Ladane and um, you can buy all my books on Amazon. Uh, you'll find you'll find them there. Also at some of the independent bookshops, um, case the word. Uh, I don't Fantastic. they haven't actually got they haven't actually got any in stock at the moment. So maybe I should. Oh. Have, but uh, yes. So, you know, the, the independent LGBT bookshops will stock and can get hold of my books uh, if you prefer to shop uh, local which yes, is always and that's yes um that's a fantastic us we support the uh, yes uh, gaze the word my goodness yes there's history there as well so if you don't know it people listening you need to go and google it and then we maybe go down and and do some shopping get your christmas stuff there so hopefully yeah. you'll, you'll be back in stock by then as well <laughs> this is another fascinating uh, aspect to uh, equality the lgbt equality um because there aren't so many uh, gay bookshops as there were and also uh, lgbt specific publishers virtually don't exist anymore mm -hmm. because the mainstream publishers have their uh, you know quota as such of LGBT writers. So it's very difficult for LGBT writers to get published. Um, right, in the, yeah. In, in the traditional uh, publishing, they will say, well, we, we have half a dozen LGBT, uh, LGBT authors, we don't need any more. And because it's a niche market, they don't make huge amounts of money through them. And they yeah. are all about money. Um, yeah. You know, so but this is what equality has done. It's made it's made it's making us mainstream to an extent and, and we lose some of our culture, we lose the bookshops. Yeah. We you know uh, and I think we have to we have to fight to keep them. Um, you know, like uh gaze the word like category is in Glasgow, like uh the portal uh bookshop in, in York, you know, these are the ones the only three really that I know. Right. Um, I didn't even know there was one in York. So there you go. Yeah. 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 We must support them as much as we can. Well, people go, go and go and buy and spend and listen and um, in, immerse yourself in David's work. <laughs> um, yeah. David, thank you very, very much for your time. Um, and uh, yeah, we'll have you back very, very soon. Lovely. Thank you very much.